Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's good to be with you all again. It's been a little bit of a time and thankful, so thankful to uh, be here um, preaching and um, yeah, just sharing the word of God I just have a couple of stories to begin. First is, um, in the first couple of years of our church, we had two young, young single men who had a real heart for missions. And regularly, we had something that we do once in a while now. It's called Mission Spotlight. They're about to go on this missions trip, and so we asked them to share. And as they came up, they shared two things that were quite startling. The first is that they boldly stated they were going to be martyred for Christ on this trip. So they basically were saying their goodbyes and saying they were not going to come back. They were going to die for Christ. And they made a very big point in saying that. The second is that they essentially rebuked everyone for sitting there because they weren't quite serious about their faith. So you can imagine how struck people were, but they did come back. They came back very healthy indeed. Sadly, today, they are two middle-aged men who, rather than giving their lives for Christ, are barely attending church, um, doing well with the world, but not with Christ. The second story is about another young man. His name is John Allen Chow. Some of you might have heard of him. On November 17th, 2018, John Chow paddled toward the North Sentinel Island near Indonesia. He was trying to make contact with this indigenous group, the Sentinelese people who are unreached and are essentially the only people in all the world who have never been impacted by modernity. He had prayed for many years for this particular unreached people group, and he spent also many years planning to go to them and to bring the gospel to them. As soon as he landed on shore, he was killed by arrows from these people. The media reported on his adventure, as they called it, and they criticized him greatly for saying, how dare he try to taint this native people with something like the gospel of Christ to these unsuspecting peoples. But the world, one thing it does not realize is that this has been the ongoing message of the gospel since the very beginnings where Jesus first died on that cross. You know, when Jesus died on that cross, he too was proclaiming this good news gospel message to a people who had no desire to hear it. Peter and John, following the resurrection, went and despite what the government as well as the people believed, they went to proclaim Christ. And by doing so, they were beaten, 
and rejoiced for the fact that they could suffer for the name of Christ. So from Jesus onward, Christians who have presented the gospel to a world who needs to hear about Christ, the world has despised that idea. Give you these two stories because these are two stories of believers. The first is a story of believing. John Chow's story is a story of believing. And yet they sound so different from one another. The end result, the, the methodology, the reaction of the world. So the question is, what is the difference? If everyone believes, what does believing in Jesus actually mean? In today's passage, in verses 16 and through 18 in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we see Jesus talking about this believing. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, he, he recounts that, he repeats it, that concept, that word of believing. And it's a very important word because all of you are here because you believe. Now, what do you believe? How do you believe? That's really the question we need to wrestle with. But believing is so important. And so we're going to really ask that question and answer it. What does it mean to believe in Jesus by answering it with three different ways? First is that we must believe with our mind. We believe with our mind. John chapter 20, verse 31 ends the gospel of John where John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It is very important that you notice that John is saying, these, the gospel, is written. And a written gospel means that it must be analyzed, understood. When you read something, you don't just, well, maybe you do, you read it and it just goes out of your mind. But to understand it, to be changed by it, you actually have to wrestle with its logic, with its reason. And it, it has to make some sense to you or else you'll never actually think it's something worthwhile, let alone believing. And if you believe it and if you decide to live by it, well, that's another story. So the fact that we believe in a written word assumes that your intellect is impacted by what you're hearing. When you're listening to what I'm saying right now, you should be thinking about what I'm saying and it should make sense to you. If it doesn't make sense, then you should at the very least go to that QR code in front of you and say, I have a question for you. I do not understand what you meant by whatever it was and I will answer it for you. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, I think that's very important. What Paul is telling Timothy is that in order to have understanding that the Lord is going to give understanding, he's linking it to thinking. So we read the Bible. We memorize it in gospel well. We're memorizing scripture, and I tell you it's a challenge, actually, but it's important. We memorize it because we have to think about God's word. We have a library upstairs. I don't know if any of you have ever gone up and it's a pitch for the library. But for some of you, you might say, I'm not a reader. I don't read. Well, I challenge you to be a reader. And it's taken me many years to grow to be a reader. 
but we have some great books upstairs. And it's important for us to read, not for the sake of reading, but to think. And in our day and age of social media, of quick little sub-articles, we're not, we don't really think as much as we used to. But the thinking part of it is so essential to our faith, to believing. And I challenge you not to simply hear without thinking. Now, we're not perfect in this, but we try to do this. Is The songs that we picked, they're not random songs. Most of them, and I know we fail sometimes, but most of them are songs that actually have lyrics that are intended to project a message. And I don't want you to just sing the song. We don't want you to just sing the song because it's uh, just some nice lyric or melody, something that you just redundantly say over and over again. Uh, Buddhism has what's called a mantra. It's a line. And you say that line over and over again. It's meant to bring you to a transcendental state where you uh, are so caught up, you might say, with the idea or the, the framework of not of a truth, but of a feeling, an emotion, that it brings you to a new state of consciousness. And I'm afraid that Christian songs try to attempt to do the same thing. You know, if if a, one line is repeated 8, 10, 15, 20 times, and you're saying it over and over again, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, eventually that phrase, I love you, Lord, becomes meaningless. It's not how it's supposed to be because your brain must not be bypassed in any part of the worship. Now, it doesn't mean that we, and we'll talk about this soon, but the brain is not the only part that must be engaged, but the brain must not be bypassed. I remember attending a church worship once where the pastor began his sermon with this sentence. He said, I want you to check your brain at the door. That's exactly contrary to what Paul says to Timothy. Think over what I say. That is exactly contrary to what the Bereans did to Paul. Listen to what the Bereans did. They were a people, Paul goes to the people of Berea, and in Acts 17, 11 through 12, Paul preaches, and Luke records what happens. They receive the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. If you look at what Luke is recording here, he's saying there's a direct link between the word being preached, and as it's being preached, the people are looking at the Bible scriptures and saying, okay, he's saying this, does this make sense in light of what the rest of Scripture says? And so they're going through the book and examining, is this true? And once they say, this makes sense in light of the Scriptures, therefore, many of them believed. Belief is so intricately linked to this idea of being connected to Scripture. And so when someone, a preacher, a pastor, is preaching from a text, I challenge you to not just simply turn off your brain, but go and say, first, does it make sense? With just your intellectual mind. And all of you have a mind. Secondly, then, look at the Bible. Does it make sense with the rest of Scripture? Martin Luther called it, and the Reformers, sola scriptura, Scripture alone interprets Scripture. 
And so you go and you look and you see, does it make sense with what the rest of Scripture says about what I'm saying? And then if the answer is yes, then there's a foundation for belief there. But that requires you to be an active listener rather than just sort of floating off in space and saying, well, I don't have no idea what's being said. If the pastor preacher does not make sense with what they're saying, that means they have to work harder. Yeah, I know. It, it actually takes work and labor. For that person, there should be a real fluidity of connection and flow, logic and reason. And if they're not logical, if they're not reasonable, and if your brain is just having a hard time following the person, it's possible that this person here is not doing a good job and they need to work at it more. They need to wrestle with it more. So yes, hold this person accountable to God's word, to logic, to reason, to your brain. Do not shut it off. Turn it on very, like turn it to the top level of your mind, of your understanding and say, if it doesn't make sense, it is possible that something's faulty in your logic, but that's where you go to that QR code and ask a question. Okay, you said this. I'm not exactly sure in understanding what you said, so can you explain to me again why this is the case? And if they explain it again and you know, make it clearer to you, then you might say, oh, okay, my understanding was a little faulty. But it's quite possible that me or someone who's here is not doing a good job of explaining it. And we need to grow at it too. So it's this common growth together. But but it's not just your brain that helps you to believe. In fact, the problem with our brain, our mind, is that it is faulty. And it's faulty because of sin. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Not a single one of us has the perfect mind. And I'm not talking about intelligence, raw IQ intelligence. I'm talking about especially the ability to see God and his word, to trust it fully because of the reality of our own sin and a Satan and those two and the world all interacting together to blind unbelievers. Now, if you are in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. You can see God's word and see the vibrancy of it and the fruitfulness of it. But there was a state, a stage where as someone who did not know Christ, without the power of the spirit, we cannot understand what's being said. And so if you've ever shared the gospel with a, someone who doesn't know the Lord, do not be surprised when they say, I totally disagree with you. In your mind, it is so clear. You have these presuppositions, but they do too. You have assumptions and premises, foundations. They have assumptions and, and premises. And so when you're explaining the gospel, which to you is so clear, for them, it makes zero sense. You should not be surprised by that. It's impossible for a person to believe if they have not had the Holy Spirit open their mind to himself. This is why you can have perfect arguments, which so often, as, the, as Peter tells us, apologetics is for you. It's not for the non-Christian. It's for your own soul. 
you should have a defense for the faith and understanding and logic and reasonability for your own heart. It's not for non-Christians. It's totally for you. And you can have perfect arguments, but do not be surprised when it doesn't make sense to the person you're speaking to because you cannot on your own believe God with your mind. You need your mind. You have to have your mind, but you cannot convince someone who doesn't have Christ based solely on intellectual arguments. You need to believe not just with your mind, you need to believe with your mind and heart. So often we hear this phrase, believe in Jesus, and we think belief means intellectual assent. It means rationality, reasonability. And again, as I just said, it's impossible for a person to rationally convince someone, intellectually convince someone that Jesus is everything that the Bible says he is. All we need to see is a child. A child can say the right words. If you ask them, and if they've been going to church for a while and they've heard the gospel through different teachers or parents, they will say exactly what it means to be a Christian. They will say, if you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They say, yes. Why do you believe in Jesus? I believe Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. They, they just have that answer. Does it mean they believe in Jesus, really? Probably they believe in Jesus as much as if they believed in Santa Claus or if they believed in the Tooth Fairy. If they have heard it enough, have, um, have been taught it, they can parrot it. But that doesn't necessarily mean they truly believe in something. I think of the father in Mark 9.24. His son was possessed by a demon. So when he sees Jesus, he cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That one sentence really sums up so well this challenge of intellectual belief without a heart belief. See, this man, he had heard about Jesus. He heard that this Jesus could perform miracles he looked at his son. His son was struggling. He was, he was doing all sorts of crazy things, and he was desperate. So he heard these reports. He wanted to believe them. You know, if there was no intellectual assent at all, he would have never brought his son. He would have said, that's ridiculous. This man who, believed, who was healing people, I'm not going to go bring my son there. There's no way. No, he had enough belief that he actually took his son we don't know how far, but he brings him to Jesus. And then he says this in Mark 9, 22, and it has often, it being the demon, has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But, and here's the big word, if you can do anything, have compassion on, on us and help us. Wow, if. Now this man is hedging his bets. He maybe believes in many things. Maybe he's taken him to a shaman already. Maybe he's taken him to the synagogue. Maybe, or maybe he's about to and he, he believes in numerology or he believes in fortune telling or he believes in rabbit's feet. St. Patrick's Day is coming, so four clovers and a four-leaf clover. He believes in all sorts of things and Jesus happens to be one. So he's saying, well, if this doesn't work, then if this, then if this, then if this. 
But Jesus calls him on this doubt. And then in Mark 9, 23, the very next verse, he says, it, Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And that's when he blurts out, I believe, help my unbelief. Again, you can see this conundrum. It's this, I, I want to believe. I, I brought him here because I think you can do this, but I don't really believe. But maybe, you, maybe it will work this time. There's just this lack of conviction in his heart. One commentator puts it this way. The father's famously paradoxical reply captures the tortured self-doubt of many sincere prayers. Belief and unbelief are mixed in most of us. So you can pray sincerely. I know some of you are praying right now. Lord, please bring healing to me. Lord, take away this chronic pain. Lord, would you cause my beloved family member to trust in you? Lord, I need a job to provide for my family. Will you give it to me? Lord, I need to get into this college, but I'm, and I'm just worried. What if I get in nowhere? Will you lead me? Lord, I want to, I want to get married. Will you provide a husband or a wife? I mean, the list is endless, right? And I agree with R.T. France. It's, it's a sincere prayer. I think people genuinely have this sincere heart's prayer. But how many of us pray believing that the Lord can do this? We don't want to pray that way because we actually are hedging our bets. We believe, but we say, but you might not really answer this the way that I want. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I really believe, but I'm going to say I believe. Or to put it another way, I believe. Help my unbelief. See, we're not so different than this father, are we? That's how we pray. Oh, Lord, change my son. But maybe you won't change my son. I believe, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure if you're going to really make it happen. Actually, sometimes the Lord doesn't provide the job, the husband or wife, the healing. But the person who believes, believes that God has a real sovereign purpose for my good and even the no, I'm not going to provide that way. I'm going to provide something different. It's not going to be something that you think you want, but you need this. And this is the only way you're going to really love me. So I'm going to say no to that. And that person who prays firmly believing not on the answer of the prayer, but on the God whom you're praying to. That's the believer. If we're praying for an answer, and that's our greatest desire is the answer, not the God who can answer, that probably means we're not really believing with our heart. We're believing with this mixed motive, mixed prayer. Because there are many times God answers affirmatively, and he provides and we, we just rejoice and we're dancing. We say, yes, he provided for me. But will we still dance and rejoice and trust the Lord if he doesn't provide the way that we hope? Believing means you believe God, not the answer that God provides. Believing in your heart means that. An example of someone who believes in scripture is Lydia in Philippi. According to Paul in Acts 16, 14, she hears Paul proclaim the gospel of Christ. So as she's hearing Paul preach, her mind is listening 
her ears, it goes inside her ears and sort of impacts her brain and suddenly it, it's sort of, she's listening. And then look at what verse 14 of chapter 16 says in Acts. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul, what was said by Paul. So Paul is preaching and she's first listening, but there's, she's listening, but not listening. She's paying attention, but not paying attention. And I would imagine some of you literally right now, as I'm speaking, you're listening, but you're really not listening. You're paying attention, but you're not paying attention. I actually don't expect you to actually really understand what I'm saying, unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and your ears and your mind, and suddenly it makes sense. You have to have your heart opened. It's why sometimes we come here on Sundays and I know that many of you, you're rushing to get here, even though it's at 11. <laughs> you're rushing to get here, and you don't make it at 11. You make it at 11.30 after all the singing is done. And we've gotten into the habit of coming at 11.30 because, well, singing is not really a part of the worship. It's only the sermon. That's it. But for those who are here at 11, you're singing and your mouths are opening and closing. But you have no idea what you're doing. You just that it should be what I'm reading and what I'm singing is impacting my mind, and it's 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 there. But then the Lord opens my heart, so I pay attention. I sing with what I believe to be true. I hear with what I believe to be true. The Lord has to do the work of opening the heart. And sitting here, just simply having your ears there is not enough. I know this because that was me. You know, I came to know Christ when I was 15 years old. But I had been going to church since I was an infant. So I heard the gospel many times. I was that child. If you asked, are you a Christian? I would have totally said yes. Why am I a Christian? Because I was, Jesus died for my sins. I would have said that answer. Did I believe in Jesus? Yes, on one level, but no, absolutely not. Sitting is not enough. Hearing is not enough. Thinking is not enough. I have to be convicted. I have to realize that I'm a sinner. I have to believe that I'm a sinner. I have to believe that I need Christ, that he died and rose for me, that if it wasn't for me and people like me, that he would have never had to do this in the first place. It had to change the way that I th think and the way that I build relationships and the way that I viewed my future and the way that I dream and the way that I live my life and how I deal with difficult circumstances. And if it doesn't, then probably I don't believe in Jesus no matter what I say. Not really. And the only way, according to what we see in Scripture, that we believe with our heart is that the Holy Spirit has to open our heart to himself. It has to be God bringing us from darkness to light. But it's not just believing with your mind. So here's the thing. You can believe with your mind, not with your heart. And I would say you do not really believe in Jesus. You can believe with your heart. You could be dancing around, singing, clapping. You could be, you know, just all the time bubbly and peppery about Jesus. And that yet, if you ask, well, what do you believe? What, what do you actually believe? 
and you have no idea what to say. If it's just, oh, Jesus died for my sins, but that doesn't really intellectually connect with what you feel, then you don't believe Jesus either. It is possible to believe in Jesus with your heart, without your mind, with your mind, without your heart. But you can't just believe your, with your heart and mind. You actually also have to believe with your hands. And I'm, I'm going to use the word hands as a, as a, it's called a metonymy, a part for the whole. So I'm really saying with all of your being, I mean, you have to believe with your works, your, your fruitfulness, your actions. You have to live as though you believe. And not only do you have to live as though you believe today, you have to do that all the way to the end of your days. We're going to look in the future at John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66. But one thing to note about this passage in particular, John 6, 60 through 66, is that many people were disciples of Jesus. It actually says many followed Jesus. Many were disciples. And so they heard, they decided to follow. But then what happened is that in John 6, Jesus starts talking about the body and blood. That, and he says, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's, John records that many disciples were so troubled by what he was saying that they decided to leave him. In fact, it's not that Jesus was saying, you need to all become vampires. <laughs> you know, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the body and blood, like I just said about hands, it's a metonymy, part for the whole. The body and blood represents his death and resurrection. You have to believe this. You have to believe he suffered and died for you, that he rose from the grave for you. And if you don't believe this, you have no part with me. You can't be a follower of, of mine. And so, you know the John 666? Anyone know John 666? This is what John 666 says. After, and you never hear about it called John 666. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You will never forget John 666. Many disciples turned back. That phrase is very important. Disciple means follower. Someone who believes. Someone who is walking alongside, who has said, I want to follow Jesus, but they turn back from him. Following Jesus, it's not enough to believe with your mind intellectually, with your heart, you, and not even just a momentary following. You have to do it to the very end, to the end of your days. This is not possible by sheer willpower. You can be convicted by today's message and say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus but that doesn't mean you really believe. If you go out and say, I'm going to go on a mission trip because of what I heard today, that doesn't mean you really believe per se. It's, are you going to follow to the very end of your days? Are you going to walk alongside with him? Are you going to fight the fight of faith? Are you going to battle? Are you going to live in community? Are you going to wrestle with uh, the realities of being in this world and still following Christ? Because the parable of the sower, if you know that parable, in Matthew chapter 13, there is this constant you know, theme of the seed that falls on the hard ground, the seed that falls amidst the thorns, the seed that is eaten by the birds. The point of it is that the seed is our faith, is believing. Actually, that's what it essentially means. Seed equals believing. But believing 
is not really fruitful until it produces a hundredfold. And hundredfold, when Jesus says that, it means, I believe, until forever. Because a hundredfold is that exponential growth, an internal growth. And so believing intellectually, believing with your heart's conviction, it's not enough. You have to hold on to the end. Now here's the real challenge. How do we get to this place? Because it's so hard. Believing, once you say, I will follow Jesus, all sorts of temptations come, lust. And for those of you who struggle with lust, try not by your willpower to lust. You won't succeed. If you struggle with anger, try not being angry and you won't succeed. You'll become angry again. I struggle a lot with impatience and there's many things. I, I sin with impatience. If I try harder to not be impatient, as soon as I say those words, I become impatient. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm impatient with not being patient enough. It's that radical in my soul. It just doesn't work. Jesus gives us a different perspective on what it means to believe with your hands, with your fruitfulness, with, to the very end. He says this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This past week, past couple of weeks, I think most of you know this, is that it's been very windy, like really windy. And so a lot of branches have fallen down. Just go outside, you'll see. There's all these branches that have fallen down right in front of our church building. And if you look at those branches, they do not produce blossoms anymore. Spring is about to come. You see the cherry blossoms already coming out. But those branches out there will not produce any leaves or blossoms. They're dead. They've been broken off from the, the roots of the tree and the trunk where all the nutrients and water flows to those branches. And no matter how much those branches try to produce fruit, it just can't do it. It's disconnected from the tree. That's Jesus' point in John 15, 5. The production of fruit is intricately linked not to the branches, but to the vine. The branch itself does not produce fruit. The vine produces the fruit. This is why when you try to be more patient, more loving, think of the fruit of spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things, it says, that's what it means to be someone who has the spirit of God in them. If you try to will, willpower yourself into being more loving, you're never gonna be more loving. It just doesn't work that way. If you're not a kind person, and I'm not an inherently kind person, really, I'm not. It, I can't be more kind, it's just not possible. I tr I've tried this before. I've tried to, by my will, to be more patient less angry, but the branch apart from the vine or from the tree cannot internally produce this. It has to be the vine that produces it. The tree produces it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So really it dawned on me that as an impatient person, the more I tried to be patient, it never gave me patience. Instead, it made me think I could do it. 
That's not believing in Jesus. That's believing in myself. And belief in yourself will never get you fruitfulness. Instead, as I was reflecting on this, I started thinking, I, I can't do it. I just literally can't. And so woe is me. You know, I started thinking about Isaiah in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm, a, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't do this. But it showed me that someone else could do it. In fact, someone else has done it. And his name is Jesus. When he went to that cross, he did what I never could do. He has always done what I never could do. He, has, he is perfectly patient. He's perfectly kind. And when he bore my sins on that tree, on that tree, to give me new life, it's then that I don't get more patience because I try to be patient. I get more patience because I know what Christ has done for me. I love him. And because I know that, because I know I am not better off than my, my children who Maybe they leave a bunch of Legos on the floor and I get home from work and I step out and I go, ah, you don't have, who did this? Why did you? And become so frustrated and angry with them. Rather than doing that, in the moment that I do that, I remember, you know what? I, I'm not better than them. I'm not. Like, I'm just like them. I need Christ. And I can pick that Lego off the floor and be like, just put it away and say, you know, kids, next time, do you mind not putting the Legos right on the doorstep where I come in, it'd be great if you did that. I love you. I want you to know that. There's a big difference between me trying to be more patient and failing miserably and me turning to Christ. And as a fruitfulness of understanding what Jesus has done for me, it changes the way that I am, not because I will it, but because it's a fruit of understanding the gospel. It is so important. Believing in Jesus and this gospel, it has to be, though, immediate. If you're saying today, okay, I'll do that someday. Not now, but someday. Someday means never. If you say, one day I will turn to Jesus, but not today, I'm too busy, that means you will never turn to Christ. That's essentially what it means. Believing in Jesus means believing him right now, right in this moment. And it is not too late and it's not too quick. You can do it literally as you're sitting here. If suddenly, if what I'm saying makes sense to you and you say, I want to change, I want to do this differently, then you could do this today. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, the moment a man or woman believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she says, I will do it now. I won't wait for a second. I want nothing more. Nothing else can make a difference. I take Jesus now. This is where we turn to verses 17 through 18. If you believe Jesus now, the promise is you are not condemned. You are not condemned. He came to save you. He came to give you new life. But if you refuse, if you delay, you are condemned forever. And do not think you have plenty of time. A couple of weeks ago, a woman went hiking. A tree fell on her and she was killed. Now, I think some of you know this. I like hiking myself. When I go hiking, I just went yesterday, actually. And when I pack my bag, I put in it a knife, bear spray, 
two knives actually, one big one that I got recently and one smaller one and bear spray. And the reason is because I, I, I guess I watched too many stories about mountain lions and bears, right, on hiking trails. So I literally end a whistle, and I have a big whistle. So I put all these things in, and I'm thinking, I'm preparing for the worst. But if a tree, and by the way, when I've gone hiking where, you know, the, the trail is very narrow and there's a steep cliff. And um, when you look down at that cliff, I, I expect to die possibly from falling off a cliff or being killed by a mountain lion. But I do not expect to die from a tree falling and killing me. Really, I don't. <laughs> I have not even thought about it once until I re read this story. Now I have to go look out for trees. <laughs> oh, here's the thing. You have so little time. You think, I have plenty of time, but if a tree should fall on you, there's no more time. You are forever condemned if you do not know Christ. You do not want to be in that place. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And the reason it's said is because you can be condemned forever, according to John 3, 16 through 18, if you do not believe in him. But Jesus gave you an opportunity to believe in him, and you shall have eternal life with him. And the reason you and I are not condemned is because Jesus was condemned for us. Everybody is condemned. Everybody the question is, are you going to be condemned by your own merit or are you going to be condemned because Jesus was condemned for you? For those who know Christ, you've been condemned. It's just that Jesus took your place. You don't want to face the living God by your own merit, and by your own power and will. You will fail miserably, but this is not just for a few moments or a test. It is eternally. So I really call you and ask you, believe today. Do not leave this place without saying, I believe Jesus. I want to change my life. I want to live a new way. And if you've never trusted in Christ, I do urge you to come and talk to one of us. Talk to one of the, we say this every Sunday with the Lord's Prayer, but talk to a neighbor, a, a member of the church, one of the pastors, an elder, anybody here and say, I want to believe in Jesus. Tell me about him. But come and believe with your heart, with your mind, with your hands. Let's pray together. Father, there is nothing I can do or say that will convince someone to believe in Jesus. It has to be your spirit opening hearts, like Lydia. They can pay attention for a moment, but they will not pay attention forever. It has to be you, Holy Spirit, so I ask, oh God, would you have mercy on souls in this room? Some who have not believed in Jesus. Not really. Maybe they've believed with their mind. They've heard enough. They can say the right things, but they don't really believe in the way that it changes their lives and transforms how they think, their worldviews, their character. Some have believed with their experiences. They've been going to their church their whole life. They've been experiencing, they went to a retreat or a revival meeting, they raised their hand, but they haven't really believed. It hasn't, it hasn't sunk in. It hasn't changed who they are. And I pray, oh Lord, that all three would be engaged so that there would be a true surrendering and a belief that you gave your life, Lord Jesus. You were condemned 
so that we would not be, and it would radically impact the way that we live and think and our priorities, what we treasure. So we commit this time to you. Lord, speak to each one of us. Open our hearts and minds to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.